0: Welcome to the Media Time Podcast.
1: Let's be great. Let's be great.
0: You're home for the sports content you want with the authenticity you need. I have some fun out here. You know, Enjoy the journey of all this. Of trying to get 16 wins and going after a gold trophy. Where nothing is out of bounds. Now welcome your host, Jamal Tanner. Jamal Tanner. Welcome back, beautiful people, to the MTO Podcast, Episode 9. We're going to get into some tournament talk again. Uh, some NBA trade deadline news and some of the buyouts, the NFL draft trades and things going on in the NFL, as well as them making a money grab. But let's start uh, with the tournament talk. Uh, you asked me something last week about if we were if you felt like we were underrating the Pac-12, and I said no. I amend that statement. I think we were underrating the Pac-12. Um, they have three of the eight tournament teams still, still playing in the Elite Eight. Um, take me through this weekend and what was most impressive to you.
1: Well, besides the Pac-12, you know, having three teams in the eight, which is highly impressive, and you know, like I said, I do think we're all underestimating that conference. You know, the West Coast bias is true with the East Coast not staying up late to really watch those games, and but they stay up, but you know, they see the Big Ten enough, and they think all those teams are great. But we see how that played out. But anyway, um, the most impressive thing about me, or I saw this weekend, was probably Gonzaga. Just how well they play and how fast they play the defense they play was just all impressive to me i had my uh i wasn't quite sure on them just because i didn't really see them play much the beginning of the season when they did play quality opponents and beat them obviously they're still undefeated but i wasn't just quite sure if they were head and shoulders above everybody else like a usual undefeated team is and i think to this point they show that they are for the most part They have everything you would want in a team that can win a national championship. They have a player in Suggs who's probably going to be drafted one, two, three at probably, you know, lowest. They have a Corey Christopher who's also going to be in the NBA here soon who's a dead-eye shooter who can play solid defense on the perimeter. They got Timmy down low who's another solid offensive player who, to me, is like a Kelly Olenek type, which isn't really sexy, but does a lot of things that you'd like your big man to do. Can step out and shoot, has post moves, play solid enough defense. So I was just really impressed with Gonzaga over the weekend and just seeing them play at a high level and just score points at will. Like, there's not many teams that, in college that you can say, yeah, this team will probably put up at least 80 every night you can't really say that about a lot of teams in college basketball, but you can say that about this Gonzaga team. You know they're at least putting up 80 to maybe, I think they averaged, what was it, 90, I think, something like that crazy? Yeah. So you got to score and play defense to play with those boys.
0: Yeah. Um, I was pretty much all in on Gonzaga, so while I was impressed by them, it didn't, it didn't move the meter for me, because this is kind of what I expect from Gonzaga. That team, like I've been saying pretty consistently, uh, you look at that team and they have three first-round picks, and the Timmy, who's the other guy, is probably their best player from a college basketball standpoint. So, and that's ignoring Nimhard, who went off for 17-8 and eight today. So that team is just, that's another level. Um, for me, I was probably most impressed with Baylor, uh, just because they played a bad game and still ended up pulling it out, and I just find that to be very impressive. It just, you know, I'm not really one that usually subscribes to this idea of, like, championship pedigree and, and all that bullshit that people like to say, but that's what I saw in, in this game. They Like, Butler was having a bad game. Macy Oteague was probably below average offensively for his standards. Mitchell got going at the end, but they really didn't have – anybody really play well in the offensive end and they just found a way and To me that was really impressive because it's in the tournament We all know that you can get caught if you have a bad game and essentially they had that bad game And they still found a way to pull it out um, Against the game Villanova team. That's another thing is Villanova was ready to play and I was super impressed with Villanova. I know they lost but for me, I was very impressed with Jay Wright because they basically went up against a pressure defensive team without a point guard and found a way to be competitive all throughout that game. So, really for me it was Butler, uh, just because they won without being good. And I think that's a hard thing to do in the tournament at all, let alone the Sweet 16. So, I was really impressed by that. Um, So, moving on to now that the Elite Eight is set, um, I think we have Baylor, Arkansas, USC, Gonzaga, uh,
1: Oregon State versus Houston. Yeah. And then the two Pac 12 teams face off. For then, the first time ever in a tournament. Two uh, yeah. Pac 12 teams playing each other. Yeah. Um, who
0: does UCLA got?
1: Uh, they got the other. Org, or, I mean, not where sorry, Whatever other Pac 12 team it is, right? I, USC, right? Isn't it? U, uh, or I thought who? it was
0: USC versus Zags. I think it's USC Zags. And then it's. Oh, UCLA-Michigan. That's what it is. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah, it is UCLA-Michigan. Yeah.
0: Which, on that note, that's another team that impressed me. I've been counting them out since Livers got hurt, and <laughs> they've, been, they've been finding a way. I
1: was waiting uh, for you to put some respect on Michigan.
0: Yeah, game. I got to put some... Hey, Juwan Howard, man, you're doing your thing out there, because I thought them losing Livers was going to be a big deal, and it limited them offensively. And I still believe it limits them offensively. When I watched them play, I'm... I'm just not scared of them offensively, but man, they lock up defensively and they and they just get after you. Like Florida State had no chance because they couldn't score.
1: Oh, they couldn't shoot. They were horrible. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah,
0: there was they nothing they could do. Bricks. Yeah, and a lot of that was due to Michigan. Now don't get me wrong, I mean, I think they also aided in that. I think Raquan Gary getting in foul trouble didn't help, but Michigan was was D'ing them up, and I was really impressed with how well they were playing defense. Um Specifically, given the fact that they have small guards, usually, I mean, it happened in the LSU game. Uh, they had small guards going against Thomas and Smart, and Thomas and Smart ate them up. I thought that could happen again, but they found a way. They mixed mixed in some zone, gave them some different looks. I just that's a team that's that's finding a way without one of their best players. So hats off to Jawan Howard of Michigan because, like I said, I was counting them out.
1: I think we also got to start looking at. You know, I think a lot of people tried to write Juan Hart higher off because they were like, oh, he hadn't coached in college, but he had coached in a high level. He had been an assistant for the Heat on championship squads. He had played in the NBA, so he knows what he's doing. He's not some guy who just played in the NBA and just got a coaching job. He'd been coaching for a while. So, and I think that also gives him some advantages over these college coaches that like to do college things, like play, take their players out real quick, not trusting their players. I think Juan Howard has that different feel because he knows what players need. Sometimes they don't always need a quick hook. They don't always need, okay, two fouls, take them on out. Let's do the same thing we do all the time. I think he plays it a little bit differently because he knows that you can't just do the same thing over. He, you got to make adjustments. This thing isn't working. You got to go to the next thing. We got to take this away from this team. We got to make them do this thing. I, I think he's just on another level because of the coaching he's had being under um, uh, Spo Spo at Miami and now having uh, Phil Martelli as his assistant coach also to kind of help him with the college stuff also. I think he's in a perfect spot to kind of keep Michigan rolling from here because this is only his second season.
0: Yeah, I think – so there's a lot of things that you brought up that that I'm glad you brought up. Uh, The first thing is not just giving people the hook when they had two fouls because ultimately I think that was kind of the undoing for Florida State. Uh, when Raekwon and Gary picked up those two fouls, they pulled him right out of the game. Um, he never really got going, and honestly, by the time he went back in the game, they were down 11 at halftime. So these type of things, okay, you're protecting them, but you're protecting them for what? The game could be out of hand before he even gets back in there. And then also, he has no rhythm. You know what I mean? He's coming in dry while everybody else is sweating. and He basically needs another warm-up, so... I think what I talked about at the beginning before the tournament kind of reared his ugly head. Leonard Hamilton is so – he trusts his team 1 through 12 so much that he's more likely to give a guy a hook when they get two fouls because he trusts his 8th, 9th, 10th guy, but that don't work in the Sweet 16 like it does in the regular season. So I think that ended up kind of being the problem, and I think that's where we have this issue with Florida State every year because they have the talent. But at some point you got to shorten that bench and just play that seven and trust your main guys. Cause there's a reason why they start on your team is because they're better than those guys that are, you're replacing them with.
1: But that's so, the, and that's kind of alluding to the NBA, which is when playoff time rolls around, people shorten up their bench and they go with exactly. the people they can trust the most and the people they know they can do it offensive and defensively. And a lot of coaches, well, the former, you know, shock smart at Texas. Now Marquette kind of did that too. He didn't shorten up his bench. He, he went. He wanted to play Brock Cunningham. He wanted to play Ham, and then the first round got him beat and got him basically fired, and had to have him take another job before Texas let him go. But I just think you gotta sh- you gotta play your best players, basically like Gonzaga does right now. They're not they're not even going deep. They're like, yo, these are our best players. We're running with these guys. Try to beat it. You probably won't. We'll see how it goes, and you're gonna get beat by like twenty easily.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hell, they were up 20 <laughs> on a bad game. Yeah, on a bad were- game. They were up 20 against Creighton, and they still had all their starters in. They were like, nah, you getting, you getting all of this. You're filling yeah. all this. 40-minute nah, game. These, getting...
1: Not these walk-ons. Nah, you're getting the starters. <laughs> nah,
0: nah. You're getting the full Gonzaga experience. You're going to be able to tell your kids that for 40 minutes you got your ass boat raced. But, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that was the difference in that game. And another thing, to your point, when you bring up, like, Shaka, there's a lot of college coaches that love to play the guys that, I mean – their version of Rudy, you know, like which I call Brock Cunningham for Texas. is He's basically their Rudy, and Jawan Howard, he's got an NBA background. They don't do that in the league. Like, at the end of the day, we love you, but you can't play. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you go going to help us get prepared for this game, and then you're going root your ass off on the sideline. But in college, I feel like a lot of teams like to play that guy because he's, you know, a great story. He embodies hard work and all this great stuff, and that's a wonderful thing. And it's valuable, but it ain't always valuable on game day. And Jawan Howard, like I said, just plays who can help him. And if that's eight people, he's going to play eight. If that's five people, he's only going to play five. And I think that's that NBA mentality, and I think it, it shows up in big games. Um, yeah, I mean, we we haven't talked about it yet because we were talking about kind of the impressive things. But another shout-out I want to do is Oregon State because that team shouldn't be in the tournament, really. I mean, if they'd have lost any of those games in the Pac-12 tournament, they wouldn't be here. And here they are in the lead Eight, about to play against a a Houston team that, I mean, that's a team that goes on and off with their shooting. So if we see an Oregon State Final Four, that would be a <laughs> that would be wild. That
1: would be that would be wild. That I mean, that, but that's a big win for the Pac-12. I mean, we they just and. It's so funny the East Coast pretends like they just can't stay up like to eleven to watch Pac twelve games. They act like it's so late. They, you know, but they brag about, well, New York, the city that never sleeps, but yet they can't stay up to watch a Pac twelve game. But you know, it's whatever. I'ma let them keep having that West Coast bias, you know. But we're two guys up in Alaska that get to see, you know, East Coast, you know, Central Time, West Coast games. We get to see all that and evaluate maybe a little bit better than some of the people on the East Coast that just kind of see highlights or scores from the next night.
0: Yeah. And it's it's funny you say that, because they, are like, literally are sleeping on the Pac-12. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I watched a lot of Pac-12 games, because, like I said, I'm up here in Alaska, and I'm able to, it's not late for me. And I think even I was sleeping on them a little bit. Like, I love that Oregon team. USC, to me, they kind of are playing the way they were earlier in the season. They were played strictly through the, the Mobley brothers and everybody feeds off of that. They went away from that from a while for a while and they had a losing streak, but now they're back to it. Um, they're getting really good guard play out of Edie. And I, I saw when I was Isaiah white was, was filling it. I was like, there's no way you beat USC when Isaiah white gives you 22. If Isaiah white gives you 22, it's a wrap. I don't like, you can't do nothing with them if you got to worry about Edie, both the Mobley brothers, and Isaiah White. And that's not even including Drew Peterson. So that team's playing on another level. UCLA is a very talented team. Um, they seem like they didn't, they lacked a the real identity. Um, but then they, got it, they went up against the Bama team. I've been talking for a while that I just think Bama's a team that's very beatable because I think they all act like they're great shooters, but there's not a great shooter on that team. Petty's a very streaky shooter, so he's, he's essentially college J.R. Smith, right? Like, he can give you 30 on any, any given night, and then he can give you 7 <laughs> on any given night. So, and that's essentially their team. They're kind of predicated on a bunch of three-pointers without a great three-point shooting team, so they can get beat, and UCLA took advantage of that. Tiger Campbell has been struggling, but he played really well today. Uh, that's another team that's, I mean, they're solid top to bottom. I think I'm done picking against Michigan, so I think I'm going to pick Michigan in this round because I've, I've learned my lesson. They're the only um, East
1: Coast, I mean, I guess you can consider them East Coast. They're the only East Coast team left, aren't they? Everything's pretty much South and West.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, that's, that's as close, far East as we get in this Michigan.
1: Yeah, because you've got two got... Texas teams and then the rest are West Coast.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we got three pack 12 and then we have Gonzaga who's obviously West coast. And then yeah, so much for that East coast bias, huh? I mean, we ain't even got one. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of that. So yeah, they're, they're going to have to stay up to watch some West coast teams. If they're watching the rest of this tournament over there on the East coast. So
1: gonna work I think it'll today. be,
0: but so I think we've kind of covered essentially pretty much every team except Houston, which I think had a really gutty performance, uh, Giro is showing me a lot with him playing through that and playing well, Um, but I don't want to be there for that. He's got that hip
1: injury, I think it is. He's kind of going. Yeah,
0: yeah, that hip pointer. I I do want to touch on that game for just a second before I want to move on. We've been having dialogue about, you know, the transfer portal, or we've talked about Jalen Johnson and how he quote unquote quit and this that and the other. And there's been a lot of scrutiny of these players for leaving their school and quote unquote quitting on their team, and i've been very vocal that I feel like the opposite happens where coaches quit on players, and nothing's ever said about it i don't think there's a great a better example than J- Jim Beheim quitting on Alan Griffin with on Syracuse, and what 's ironic about it is. The one thing that they needed in this game against Houston, because Houston can get after you defensively, is a guy who can create his own shot. And their best player to do that is Alan Griffin. And so he gave up on the one dude that he needed in this game. And then they got—they basically were never in that game. And so we got to start looking at this both ways. If we're going to criticize players for, quote unquote, quitting on their team, then we got to look at the fact that sometimes coaches are quitting on their players right there in the middle. Like, like I said, Alan Griffin's a pro. He went into this tournament with an opportunity to show what he can do and to basically put on a, a, a show for the scouts. And instead, he got quit on by his coach and played 10 minutes a game the whole tournament. So I think it was pretty shitty. I was actually happy that they lost in that fashion because they lost because they couldn't handle Houston's defense. They didn't, they didn't have a guy that could score one-on-one and can create a shot and make a difficult shot. And that guy for them, they had on the bench because Boeheim had quit on them. So, I just wanted to make that note because we like to talk about all the players quitting. So, let's talk about Beheim quitting on his team. On his team. Um, but I do want to transition from that. I don't want to spend a lot of time there. But we got to talk about this referee in, 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 in college basketball and men's college basketball specifically. Because I, t- I had some time to watch a, a lot of the women's tournament over the weekend. And... Outside of just watching w- wonderful basketball, like I was talking to my wife about this, and I was like, man, this if you're a coach, women's basketball is where it's at because it is well-played basketball. Like the whole thing is just like everything that you're taught. But outside of that and the phenomenal basketball that you see there, the difference in the refereeing is night and day, and it is so refreshing watching women's basketball because they don't call any of that. All of the little ticky tack or the charges and all the stuff that you see in, in in men's basketball, you don't see any of that in the women's game. And I don't know if they need to make those women's referees do double time and just fly back and forth between Indy and, and, and San Antonio. But.
1: Well, I was thinking, I, I don't know if I tweeted out or if I just said it in my head. I was like, can the NCAA men's tournament borrow like the WNBA refs or something? Because, I mean, they're not in season yet. Can they borrow like – yeah, I'll let you carry on. But I was thinking kind of the same thing. Like they they need to borrow refs from somewhere else.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm ready for you to take it over because I know you were just frustrated as I am on that. But watching this, there's
1: no rhythm in these games, and they got to do something about it. The college refs make college men's basketball unwatchable. The every two seconds, it's a foul call, it's a charge call, it's a maybe a bogus travel call, it's. The refs are too impactful in these games. And like you said, there's just no rhythm. And I think that has the problem of low-scoring games. You get these games that are in the 60s and 50s and 70s, and they shouldn't be there. And you watch these women's games, and it's just a lot more free-flowing basketball. It's not a charge call every two seconds. They actually make them play defense. And I feel like in the men's game, they, they bail them out with charge calls all the time you literally don't have to guard your man. You can just basically get beat. Next man slides in, not even on time, late, maybe still sliding, maybe still moving backwards, forwards, side to side, cha-cha slide, don't matter. He's getting the charge call every time. And it's just annoying. I'm tired of seeing it every game. I'm tired of seeing dudes not have to play defense because all they have to do is stick their arms up straight in the air Take it somewhere on the front of their body. Just not be turned around with your back, and you're going to get the charge call. And I think the NC it would help men's basketball to open it up more. Less calls, more free-flowing up and down. Just don't call calls as much. Just tone it down a little bit. I feel like every ref is looking to make a foul call or two. It's like they have a quota of three charge calls a game. They have to make three of them. I feel like every ref has to make three at least, it feels like.
0: I, I swear they get a spiff every time that they call a charge. Like I think they're getting kickbacks or something. Or maybe they just really like making that motion or something. I don't know. But they, it was a great example of what you're talking about. As I was watching the Arkansas Oral Roberts game, which was a great game to watch. Uh, Jalen Tate played his ass off. Um, but Ace Smiths which I still don't know how A-B-M-A-S makes A Smith, but that's his name, so I'm going to call him what his name is. He's about maybe 5'10". He's listed as one, but there ain't no way he's one. But he's maybe, we'll call him 5'10". And he was guarding Justin Smith, who's Justin Smith is probably a good 6'7", 6'8". And he got switched on to him in the post. And Justin Smith is about to go to work on him. He's about to, you know I mean, that's the that's easy bucket. A Smith just stands there as soon as he feels any contact, he falls back and then Overzell's referee comes in, calls a charge, and I'm like, You basically bailed them out just be- like he had a mismatch and the only thing he could do was just fall and you gave him that call. All he did was just feel something and then just dive on the ground. And it's just it's ridiculous. Like we make fun of soccer, specifically in the US, for all this flopping. And we incentivize it so much, specifically in college basketball, to so whereas we are exactly what a lot of Americans complain about in soccer is the fact that there's too much flopping and this, that, and the other going on. But that's the most effective defense you can play in college basketball is if you just step in front of somebody and then take it in the chest and then just fall backwards, you're getting that call 80% of the time. And it's just, it's got to stop. They have to review this. They have to decide what a charge is.
1: You don't even have to Start. dip your shoulder anymore. You could literally dribble straight up, and if the guy falls because he's in front of you, it's a charge. And that's not a charge because he just fell.
0: Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Like, when you're in foul trouble, you're m- way more worried about on the offensive end than you're on the defensive end in college. Because you know if you step in front of somebody and somebody decides that they want to hit the ground, it's they're going to call it every time. And... It's just it's just gotta go. I mean it's been a it's been a great tournament, there's been a lot of great games, but the big black eye from the from the game perspective is just the refereeing in these games. They're way too impactful in these games and they don't just let people just play.
1: Like we're here to see the players. I think they call charges cause it almost levels the playing field, if you kinda think about it. If you're a more athletic team that kinda say, takes it to the hoop a lot and tries to drive because you're more athletic want to crash, you're probably going to get a lot of charge calls because, like you say, guys can just kind of fall, and it kind of takes away from your aggressiveness. It basically plays towards... It takes away from teams that are aggressive that can't shoot, basically. So if you can't really shoot, then you're almost going to be SOL in a tournament because you're going to get a lot of charge calls. You're not going to get a lot of blocking calls from them maybe not being able to play defense. You're going to get a lot of charge calls, and now your whole game plan is turned upside down because you can't be as aggressive as you want to be anymore because every player is thinking about, okay, well, maybe I beat my man off the dribble and next guy isn't really set, kind of slides in late off of the other guy, but now he's gotten a charge call just because he's somewhat in the area. So I think it kind of takes away from some of the more talented teams sometimes because the lesser talented teams know they can just basically step in for charges and get foul calls racked up, get some extra free throws, and it keeps games closer. And like you said, it keeps – teams from getting in a rhythm. So now the shooting isn't as good. And now the games are just wherever they are basically. Yeah. So
0: yeah, they, they got to do something about it. They got to go back to the drawing board after the season and figure out how they do that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Iowa versus Yukon game. Um, Paige Beckers versus, uh, Caitlin Clark was what it was billed to be before Kristen Williams, uh, kind of took over. Uh, for me, it was the first time I had seen Caitlin Clark. Uh, Iowa, I don't think I was on TV very much. Iowa women's basketball, unless I'm missing it. Maybe I don't have the right channels. Maybe I need to talk to my cable provider. Need that big Ten um, network. Yeah, I guess so. But it was my first time seeing her, and it's crazy, because you know how John ja Morant has kind of like this growing tally of, missed, of impressive missed dunks? Where he keeps almost dunking on people, and you're just like, oh, this is super impressive. That's how I felt about Caitlin Clark, because she didn't have a great game, but you could just see that that girl's lethal, even when she's missing. I believe she went seven for 21 with 21 points, and it's never good to have your shot attempts and your <laughs> points to be the same number. Yeah, the
1: Victor Oladipo stat line.
0: <laughs> she did have the Oladipo special, but when if you look at a box score, you're like, oh, okay, she didn't. She, She's not that good, right? She's overrated or whatever. But when you watch that game and you watch some of the shots in and, and the movement and how she was breaking people off, it was – I mean, it was Curry-esque, really. Like, when I watched it, like, that's the person that I, that crossed my mind. It was like, okay, that's Trey Young, Steph Curry type stuff. And it was it was just, it was just really nice watching her. And then Paige Beckers reminded me so much of Kay Cunningham because she kind of just – Starts off the game. She doesn't really look for her shot. She's just kind of getting everybody else involved. And then as the game goes on, she just starts getting hers. She's never in a rush. She seems she's never moving too fast. She just goes wherever she wants to go, gives you a bucket. And it's just really impressive. The game's in good hands. They're both freshmen. Um, And then Kristen Williams, like I said, she was the number one overall recruit herself. And it was almost like she took this personally. Everybody was talking about these other two highly talented recruits. And she was like, I don't know if you remember me. But uh I was once the best in America coming out, so let me show you that I'm still I still got it. So there's a lot of talent on that floor. And like I said, watching women's basketball, anytime I watch it, just from like a coach's perspective, it's just it's like everything you were taught. And it's just so wild to watch everybody doing the right thing offensively. And even different like it was just it's just amazing. It's just like man, if you could get this like one of my first thoughts, and I'm kind of rambling at this point in time, but no, you're good. Was was that we need a we need a woman to coach men's? Like we need someone that can get men's to execute in that way, and that team specifically at the college level would be on another level.
1: I I thought, well, you know, rest in peace. I thought Pat Summitt would have been perfect to do it, like you know, in her prime. Like when, yeah. men, when Tennessee men's basketball wasn't popping or wasn't really good or really never has been that top good. I thought they should have just hired her from the men's. Now I get why she never would have left the women's side. Like I, she is Tennessee women's basketball. She basically built that from the ground up. So I get yeah. how she probably would have never did that. But I thought she would have been perfect person for that. But now that I think about it, I do have someone who I think could do that next step. And that's Don Staley. That's exactly I, who I was thinking. I think if you're a dude and you can't listen to what Don Staley has to say, then you just don't need to play basketball because she's done everything you can do. So, And she's got that, the attitude for it, too. You ain't Yeah, gonna give she, her no yeah she got that, oh, you're not about to talk to me, though, kind of way. Exactly. So I think Don Staley would be the perfect person to coach men's team. Shoot, switch on over to South Carolina men's basketball. They're not good.
0: Yeah. I think Frank Martin's probably, I don't know how much longer he want to do it anyway. So. He can just go ahead. She can just do both. I know a lot of universities are trying to cut salary. They could just have one basketball coach. She can just
1: do both. (laughs) That'd be a little hard on Dave, for there, you know, (laughs) all over the country, but, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Just figure out
0: the schedule. That's that's what the AD's for, right? They can figure that out.
1: There
0: you go. But, yeah, I I really do think that we need to see that because I think watching the way the, like, women execute offense and the way they move and the fact that everybody can shoot, you know what I mean? Like, ultimately, I was looking at that and I'm like, I bet you... Steve Kerr or the Golden State Warriors GM was just watching women's basketball one day, and he was like, you know what? I wonder if I had a team where everybody could shoot like the women do, how good we would be. And then all shooting, of a sudden... Shooting ball movement. It's basically what did. Yeah, shooting ball That's movement. exactly what the Warriors do. If you watch the Warriors, it looks like the men's version of women's basketball, and they, they won championship on that. I mean, obviously, you help having Steph and Clay, and then later KD probably helps with that. But ultimately, the system... It's exactly what you see when you watch women's basketball. It's just ball movement, and everybody can shoot. Hell, JaVale McGee was hitting corner threes when he was with the Warriors. It's just part of it's just part of what they do there. So, I think we need to see more of that. Um, it was sad to see. I want to see Caitlin Clark find a way to be in the tournament and then give her a mulligan, take over some other team because I want to see more of her. She can jump uh, on but, them
1: lady horns, you know. We still in it, still balling. Yeah. Got the I mean, freshman, Maryland.
0: So I guess we, <laughs> I guess we got years to come of that since she's just a freshman and, uh, there'll be more of her for sure. Oh yeah. So talking about the NBA a little bit, let's go to the NBA trade deadline. Um, there's a lot of moves in my mind, a lot of questionable moves. I'm gonna let you go first. Cause I might go on a little bit of a rant. Uh, what was your biggest impressions on this on this on this trade deadline?
1: So I think I was most impressed with the Nuggets at trade deadline. I really liked the acquisition of uh, Aaron Gordon. I thought they really needed another athletic man on their team. With uh, you know not really having that many athletic por- uh, people, I think you were saying probably their most athletic player is probably Porter Jr. So you know if that's your most athletic player and he's not really that big, can't play defense that well. Probably need another guy that can do that, especially if you're going to go up against teams that have the likes of like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and even guys in the uh, in the East too with Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Ben Simmons. Just those type of players that are that big and physical and that can do a lot of things. You need a guy that is also athletic who can kind of press back when you get to those uh, deeper rounds in the playoffs, which the Nuggets expect themselves to be again. And then um, I wasn't high on this acquisition, but I know this team and this fan base was. And that's Victor Oladipo going to Miami. I follow a lot of Miami people on Twitter, and they were loving that trade. They've been actually talking about Oladipo, Oladipo for a while, and a mutual kind of wanting between the Heat and Oladipo. So he's finally there. And they'll, they got their man now that they think is going to push him over the hump or get them closer to the top of the heap in the East. I don't believe it, though. I got an up-close and personal look at Victor Oladipo when he played for the Rockets, and I was not impressed at all. He's just, as you like to say, he's a shooting guard that can't shoot. So that's not very good.
0: Yeah, I've been very clear that I don't want a shooting guard that can't shoot. He is that. I will say that I think he is a good fit for Miami because I think they're unique in the fact that they run a lot of offense versus just kind of pick and roll, kick out, and shoot. They don't do a ton of that. Now, it happens, but when they do that, it is always going to be through Jimmy, and it's not. we're not really going to task Oladipo with that. And the fact that Oladipo is a plus cutter, I think Spo can get him kind of playing a game that's more... What he should be doing, which is a slasher role, you know. Every now and then, you can run him as as the guy through a pick and roll. Um, but I think because they run a lot of offense and his uh, athleticism, I think they can utilize him better than most teams can. Uh, I, I agree with you that I think he's an overrated piece. I think they've been we we've had this conversation before. He's been overrated since he came into the league. I mean, on draft day, they compared him to Jordan slash Dwayne Wade, and so. Since from the beginning of his NBA career, he's been, in my mind, overrated. But with that said, I do think that he can be useful for them specifically because of the way Spo runs that team, runs that offense. I don't think he's going to be tasked to do as much as he was with the Rockets um, and to some extent as he was with Indiana. So I think he'll kind of fit in as kind of just another guy on that team, another another player that can score um, versus being the dude that they need to be the scorer. So I think he'll fit in better. And I think it's very similar in a, in a way to, like, to Aaron Gordon, like you mentioned. I think in a lot of ways they're kind of the same guy, just a guard and a forward version. Because Aaron Gordon's another guy from a talent standpoint. He has a ton of talent, and he has a lot of ability, but it hasn't manifested into being that that a star level player so him being in Denver he's able to kind of kind of offensively just help you where he can help you but then defensively to be really be an asset and really be another athlete on that team like like you mentioned they, they have Porter's a good athlete but there's good athlete and then there's good athletes who can guard and Porter's not a guy that's gonna guard anybody so he's really the only athlete they have from a defensive standpoint that can match up with people. Kind of as a Jeremy Grant replacement, in my mind, an upgrade over Jeremy Grant. Uh, So I did kind of switch off pretty seamlessly there. But now talking about Gordon, I think that's a great fit for them. Uh, When you look at the way the West has been, specifically with the Lakers kind of being injured, um, and the way Denver made it very far last year, I think it's the appropriate time to push their chips in and try to make a run at it. Cause he somewhat fits their, their window because he's not old. So, I mean, with, you can use him as your core with Porter, Jokic and Murray. So you can, he can play with them, but also they're in a opportunity to win. Now I think they could potentially get like a Toronto Raptors type of ring. Right. Whereas if everything goes well, they're going to be there. If They can be the last man standing. They can be there and, and win it. Um, I don't see them winning it if everybody's healthy, but I think it was a good move to have that positioning, possibly maybe make it to the finals. And then at that point, you know, we know Durant's susceptible (laughs) to finals injuries. So you never know what can happen in in that scenario. So I thought that I liked that a lot. Um, On the flip side, a team that pushed their chips in a little early. And when I say a little, that's me being nice because I am a Bulls fan. Uh, Chicago, really, it doesn't make any sense. Like I like Vucevic as a player. I really do. I think he obviously makes them a better team. But when I look at this, and forgive me for any avid poker player, because I'm going to make a poker analogy that's probably terrible, but it makes sense in my mind. Um, To me, it's like being able to see everybody else's cards, right? And you see you're playing Texas Hold'em, and... You see a team flop a royal flush, right? That would be the Nets. They they get, they get have the royal flush in their hand. And then you get a three-of-a-kind, or they'll you know, call it a three-of-a-kind, or a full house. And you decide to push all your chips into the table, knowing damn well that somebody across the table from you has a royal flush. Like that's, to me, what the Bulls did. It makes no sense, from a timing standpoint, to push all your chips in, knowing damn well that team ain't beating the Nets. Like, there's no... Hell, they ain't beating Miami or Philadelphia or the Bucks, So, the timing to try to make this move to get your quote-unquote whale just makes no sense because you're not winning. So, I don't understand why they would do that. Um, Yeah, sure, they got better. But the team ain't winning. Like, they're probably the sixth best team in the East now, at best. Because like I said, the Nets, the Philly, um, who else did I just say? The Bucks, and Miami. So they're fifth best at best. Like, why do you make a trade like that to become the fifth best team in your own conference? Like, that doesn't
1: make any sense to me. Celtics probably better also.
0: Yeah, you're right. So yeah, back to the sixth. And that's at best. So, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's, it reeks of something to where the GM just felt like he had to do something to give himself another year on the job. And he'd probably buy himself that year, but he, I guess he can collect his check for one more year. But it just makes no sense. It's terrible timing. Um, it's much like at the beginning of the season, I was talking about how Atlanta pushed their chips in too soon with their free agency. Essentially, the Bulls did the same thing. They just did it through the trade. So, it. I mean, we saw at the first game that, they have
1: But, boosted. I mean, to the, be fair, Orlando was
0: doing a fire sale.
1: And they just was like, well, I mean, you're just giving away people. I guess we'll take Vucic."
0: Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, that's not the same. Like, you if you have a scenario where someone's selling something for cheap and you don't necessarily need it. And so you just buy it just because it's cheap. Like, <laughs> that works in, like. Real life, because I mean, you could like flip it or whatever, but that's not really how this is going to work in the NBA. Basically, you had to get rid of real assets in order to do that. It wasn't like... Like, I look at the Boston trade with Evan Fournier. They basically gave up nothing. So if it doesn't work out, it's just, okay, I gave you two second-round picks. Or, really, the Oladipo trade, when I look at that, like they didn't give up much. So if it doesn't work, okay, now we're minus Kelly Olenek and... It Avery, Avery
1: Bradley. Like, so Both weird. teams really gave up nothing because yeah. Houston didn't want them, basically. Exactly. They weren't going to re sign And they saw what they saw and were like, well, we'll get off this. We'd rather be Tank more without you. So, exactly. So,
0: and, and I see those type of trades. I'm like, okay, there's not a lot of risk. But with the Bulls, they gave up future assets for that. Now, they don't, haven't shown to be a great drafting team. But at the end of the day, like, you gave up real value for, for Vucevic. And. Ultimately, not only did you give up picks, you also made yourself good enough to not get high picks to whereas now you're going to be in this purgatory much like New Orleans is in the West to where's you're good enough to compete ish, but you're not good enough to really get a guy that can be that game changer for you. So it just doesn't make sense. It's the thing, like, I said I wasn't going to do this rant, so I'm going to keep it short, but, like... Nah, it's okay.
1: I like your rant. Because it's making me think about my Rockets, and it, just keep pissing off Levine enough for in a couple of years we can go on and slide y'all some of these horrible picks we have for Zach Levine. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, by the time that happens, y'all going to have these top picks that you ain't going to need a Levine because you're going to have somebody, and that's that's the way you do it. Like, outside of Denver, to me, the best trade... Deadline team was the magic because you get to reset. You have you get to see what you have with Wendell Carter Jr. So more than likely you can flip him in the future. Um, Fultz eventually comes
1: back next year.
0: Yeah, you have Fultz. You can you got to figure out what the hell you're going to do with Bamba, but they like uh, Okiki, so you get to see what he's can do. You have Jonathan Isaac coming back, and then ultimately you're going to have one of the top four to five picks this year. And we've talked about that in the past, but, like, top four is pretty much all studs. Hell, if you, I'm not quite as sold on Kaminga, but if you add him, that's top five is, like, I don't think there's a miss, really, in that top five. Whether you're taking Cunningham, Mobley, I don't think Mobley works for them, but still. Cunningham, Mobley, uh, Green, Suggs, or Kaminga. I think all five of those are going to hit.
1: You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Basically, you're going to be fine in that area if you're one of the worst teams in the league.
0: So you're going to add a piece now that you can build around. And so you get to really hit the reset button. Like, you actually... You're not going to be good anytime soon, but you also weren't ever going to beat the Nets anytime soon. So you get to set your window for past when their window. Like, you're trying to have that next run after the Nets or after Milwaukee and, like, after all these teams have kind of cycled through, you're trying to compete at that point. It just makes more sense. You want
1: to land prime in about, like, three years, basically.
0: Yeah. It's like when Golden State was in their prime. Like, nobody – you didn't want to be good at that point in time. No. You wasn't beating them. Like, (laughs) you might as well set up for something else. Like, and Denver did that. If you look at Denver, when – Golden State was in their prime, they were kind of setting up, okay, we're well, not ready now, but let's keep building around this so that we'll be ready in the future. And that's kind of what Orlando's doing. That's what Houston's doing. And that's the smart way to do it. But the Bulls kinda of did the opposite approach and it's just gonna backfire. And there's I don't see how it can be seen any other way. Um I do wanna mention a couple of winners from a player standpoint. Uh the first one has gotta be Lou Williams because he gets to go to Atlanta and yep. Magic City, Lemon Pepper Lou. Chill out. Get yeah, he wing. gets to go home. You know what I mean? No mask in Magic City all day, every day. So he's clearly the winner there. I don't even think they're going to make him play. He's just going to be out here in Magic City all the time. I think he, he's, he I mean, be, yeah, I don't
1: know if he's even reporting. I think he's just to the crib. Yeah, I think he's just out here chilling. And then... Which, I'm, Mich- honestly, I don't... Like, I mean, I guess they wanted Rondo, but I don't like... To me, the, the Clippers' biggest issue is they don't... They like scoring sometimes. Like, there's games where I'm just like, where are you going to get these points from if it isn't... All of them aren't from L- Leonard, George, and whoever the third option is on a nightly basis. Doom,
0: Yeah. I really didn't think that trade made sense. Not... Yeah, not to me. Not for all. Rondo. Like, Honestly, for either team. Like, if you're really trying to be good, Rondo can play next to Trey Young, whereas... Lou and Trey Young can't play together, so like that's not gonna work. And then Rondo, I mean, I'm, he's different than Pat Beverly, but in a lot of ways they're similar. in the fact that like you again, you can't play them together. They're not really like gonna create their own offense now. Rondo can get other people involved, but it just seemed like a weird trade to be honest with you. I think to
1: me, honestly, like I I've, I've given up on this guy on DraftKings, but. The Clippers honestly needed, like, Fournier. Like, they need somebody who could kind of get their own shot, really, because as much as I like the dog Fournier, he can at least get his own shot.
0: Well, it was uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what the Clippers need because they kind of got that in my mind with Kanar because I'm a big Canar fan, but they don't ever play him or use him. And I think a lot what, what they really needed to trade for was a coach. That's what they really needed to trade for. <laughs> they,
1: <laughs> I don't think you can do that at the trade deadline.
0: <laughs> they should have went, like, they should have called Villanova and be like, hey, I'll give you $5 million and Tyron Liu for Jay Wright, let's do that.
1: Let's lose <laughs> yeah, that, that trick down immediately. <laughs>
0: Hell yeah, to turn that down a little But I really think that's their biggest weakness is the fact that their coach is. I, I'm on record saying that Ty Liu is a bottom three coach in the NBA. Like, I don't understand why anybody wants him to coach their team. But really, the team's talented enough to win it. I just don't think. I think Ty Lu's gonna. If they lose, it's gonna be because Ty Liu got out coached. So. Really, that's going to be where they're at. And I don't think Rondo's going to move the meter.
1: But even with um, a better coach, do you think their roster's still good enough? Like, I just don't like that roster, honestly. Like, I look at it, I'm just not impressed. With the other teams out of both conferences, like, if I stack them up just roster-wise, I'm not even going to talk about coach. I'm just going to talk about who, what rosters I like. I don't like them better than Lakers. I don't like it better than Nuggets. Don't like it better than the Sixers. Don't like it better than the Bucks. Don't like it better than the Nets so then so i guess about right there i guess maybe i trying to think what probably not even better than the sun's roster like honestly i think they're i think they have better top pieces but i probably like further down the roster than the clippers roster i just don't i don't know on a nightly basis who my third score is going to be and that kind of scares me like I don't know who I'm going to consistently get it from in the playoffs when it revs up and I'm just not sold on it being Batum or Morris or Zubac or Rondo or whoever that third guy is going to be on a nightly basis. And I don't really even trust Paul George when we're going to get down to it when it gets tighter and tighter, like maybe all old Indiana Paul George, I would trust, but not this Clipper version.
0: Yeah. I think the big difference for me is the fact that I'm higher on Paul George than I think you are. I think that's why I would have them up there. Uh, honestly, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Reggie Jackson because Reggie Jackson is going to have to be that guy. He's shown the ability to do it in the past. I'm not sure if I'm saying that he's going to consistently do it, but he he can get a bucket. like We know that. So ultimately, he's going to have to do what Blue Williams was doing before and be that third scorer for them. Uh, to your point, I think Trez leaving for the Lakers was a much bigger hit blow than people want to give like admit because he was a guy who can go get a bucket off the bench um, but I still I think I would I think I would take the Clippers over the Bucks. that's just because I'm not in love with Giannis and his game in the playoffs at least Kawhi and Paul
1: George wherever, whatever you think of him he can But at chewed. least Giannis still has a Middleton and a Drew Holiday he can lean on you know yeah, what I mean, like he can lean on those guys if he needs to. I just don't know what the Clippers are leaning on. If one of those guys have an off night, say Kawhi, or Paul George, not who you lean. Like I just, to me, if an option gets taken away, I feel like they're just they're they're outgunned, and if they can they got to play like elite elite defense at that point now.
0: Yeah, and they have that ability because with with George, Morris, and Kawhi. Like, that's a switchable three that can really get after you. Um, and then the Ibaka, once the back, he's a good rim protector as well. So I think defense, and then if you got Pat Bev at the one, like, they can get after you on defense. They can definitely do that. Um, but to your point, I, I do think they can struggle to score sometimes. Um, Paul George, as much as I do like him, he obviously has, has a history of disappearing. Um, so I don't know. I don't like the trade because I don't see how it helps them. I guess the idea would be Rondo can create easy buckets for guys that you're not necessarily relying on to get their own, I guess would be the idea, but I don't think it's going to work that way. Um, but yeah, so Lemon Pepper lose my big winner. And then I think I think Wendell Carter Jr. has a real chance to be on the All-Ski Mask team here in a couple of years and end up getting a bag from somebody. <laughs>
1: oh, because he's like gonna I, ball out in Orlando.
0: Yeah, because I think he's gonna be in Orlando. He's gonna get a, like I could see him being mm. like who likes to give out eighteen and nine for like a year or two, and then just getting I a bag from somebody. Detroit, they like to
1: give out. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs>
0: I I feel like he's going to have a real chance to cash in on and something,
1: you know. They're going to see him a couple times a year, which means you know teams like to sign people who they who ball out against them.
0: Yeah. So those are those are my two big winners from a player standpoint. Um What do you think about with the buyout market? Do you think Aldridge to the Nets
1: matters? I've been thinking about this all day. I, I'm toward I want to say yes, but I just think Why do you oh. want to say yes? Huh?
0: Why do you want to say yes?
1: I don't know. I want but no, so I want to say yes, but it's going to be no. I just I don't know what he's going to bring that they need at this point. I honestly probably they probably need like a, maybe another defender cuz they can put it up. They got guys that can put up points. I I think maybe their concern is they don't have a low post guy who can get points, which Aldridge kind of does fit, but he still I don't know how much he plays in the post anymore. He kind of always has been that, I'm going to face you up and shoot that little mid-range jumper. So, I mean, I guess that, I guess he's just taking away there's, the from Andre Jordan, I guess. I don't know. it. There's time.
0: zero chance that on a team with Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, they're dumping the ball down to fucking LaMarcus Aldridge <laughs> and watching him work. So then like, what's the point? I'm confused
1: then. What is the point? Is he just there because he wants a ring? I'm confused then.
0: I think they are just out here along for the ride. They just picked him up. They were, <laughs> he was out here hitchhiking with his thumb <laughs> up, and, <He's> just, <laughs> and they just stopped game of that man a ride. They're just trying to get, just trying to get this ring. Because I mean, ultimately at this iteration of Blake Griffin, like they're kind of the same guy at this point, right? Like they can hit a jumper every now and then, and then like yeah, that's I was just they're confused. not different.
1: They basically they're trying to take Andre uh, DeAndre Jordan off the court. I'm guessing they don't even want because he can't put the ball in the basket. I'm guessing is why because. All their signings have been. Can you put the ball in the basket, like, somewhat? It at- doesn't make sense. They, yeah, it doesn't they make. That's like, what it doesn't make sense. So I'm confused.
0: They're just determined. Like we just gonna fuck defense. We're just gonna score you. Like that seems like what they're doing. Like can, I you, guess so. can you can you score? Because we're just gonna overwhelm you with twelve players who can get a bucket.
1: What? But the only thing I can think of that I do like about it is if Katie, I'm gonna again, assume Katie eventually does come back. You can play a lineup against Milwaukee Bucks where you Giannis can't park underneath the hoop. Like, he's going to have to be on the perimeter somewhere. And you could just open up all kinds of room. I mean, that's, to me, the only team that... I mean, I guess maybe the Sixers, too, you can maybe stretch beat out now and make him have to guard the perimeter, which I'm guessing that's what they did it for, is to have the bigs of the East have to stretch out and not sit in the paint because that's where they're best at at defense, Embiid being in the paint. Giannis hanging around the paint area... So I'm guessing that's the move, why they made it, is to make those guys have to guard on the perimeter.
0: I mean, as weird as it is to say, though, I mean, ultimately, couldn't they have done that with Blake?
1: Like, I don't Blake think Blake, I don't them. know what Blake's shooting right now. Is he going to respect that them coming out? Is, I think Aldridge will more. I think Aldridge will make those guys have to step out. They can't just be like, we're going to give you a wide-open three. We're going to give you this wide-open jumper. He's going to knock that down. I don't know if Blake's yeah. going to knock that down with, you know, as much regularity as Aldridge will if you ain't gotten yeah, him out there.
0: I suppose Aldridge is a better shooter. But then why they even go get Blake? Because they knew... Because fact, I don't... Blake maybe they the didn't secret. know they could
1: get Aldridge at first. Maybe they... Because, I mean, you think about it. Was... I mean, Aldridge was... I don't know if they were trying to... We knew them, he was getting first. bought out. Yeah, he because they said him. they stopped playing him, which we talked about before. Yeah. You have no leverage once you do that. So... They basically were waiting around, but I think they clicked up Blake well no, maybe I think everybody kinda knew. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't think they maybe they thought they were gonna have to fight over Aldridge other teams and he wasn't gonna go there, so they picked up Blake because of that, not knowing if they were gonna get an Aldridge type. And I think now that they do have the Aldridge type, yeah. We'll probably see Blake not playing again.
0: And then I mean, to be fair, the Heat were the front runner for Aldridge and then he was just like, mm, I can win a ship with them though, so I think I'm going to go that route. Um, Yeah, I mean, on that, like, we we did talk about this a bit. Um, That's another thing that frustrated me is we have teams like Cleveland. How do you trade for Andre Drummond? Give up real assets and then a year later not even be able to trade and get anything back for him and just have to buy him out. Like, that makes no sense. So, Drummond will really help the Lakers, I think, That'll be a good fit, but ultimately, it was a pretty interesting trade deadline, but I think it's always bittersweet for me because as much as it's entertaining to see what happens, what moves, and stuff like that, I've been on record, and I'll continue to be on record, that I can do this GM job, and anytime we have a trade deadline, I just further get into the fact that there's no reason for me to think that I can't do this.
1: Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, you see the moves they're making; they're just they're just making moves to make moves. They don't even got no, you know, like thought behind it. I know, I know, a lot of people this weekend were trying to climb the Rockets and saying, "Oh, they got this, this for James Harden," but their plan is the tank. Their plan, they're not trying to be a good team. They wanted to see they honestly they traded for Oladipo because they knew he wasn't he didn't have a con he they had a contract that was tradable. They wanted to see if maybe they could get more for him. Play indicated you couldn't and that's what happens. So they got their picks. They're they're basically banking on the Nets not being good in 3 years, 4 years, which you can maybe kind of see if this I mean, KD injury thing don't go right, Harden might try to go to the West Coast maybe here soon. There's a spot opening up in LA in a couple years and the Lakers, I mean, that Nets team can go down real fast.
0: I mean, really, when you think about it, Kyrie may be living on Mars by then because, you know, that dude's at, like all over the place. He might be spreading sage in Antarctica or something because that man does whatever he feels like doing. Kevin Durant, I mean, I don't know. is, is Maybe his body's breaking down on him. I don't know what's going on with that. So, I don't know. I, that's a wild card. We know if he's healthy, we know what he's going to give you. He's going to give you 30 a night. But I don't know if this is the beginning of his body kind of failing him. We don't know, and then James Harden, he mess around, get a couple ships. He might get, he might be the next Rick Ross. I, I don't <laughs> we don't know what happens. Like James Harden gets a ring, he might have no other reason to be playing, so he might just go ahead and just be like, oh, and just be eating I all burgers. He might
1: he might want out of there sooner than later if he can't depend on Kyrie or KD. Like you really want to be stuck on that roster without no help. I mean that's the Rockets again. If those guys never keep playing or something happens with them, so I mean. He could ask out again, and I don't think he has that many years left on his contract that he's on. I don't think he's got like two years at max.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I don't know how long this window is going to be for the Nets. I think it definitely ends with a couple ships, but I don't know. To your point, I don't know if I don't think it's going to be a huge window. I think it's probably four years tops before that whole thing kind of comes crashing down, and they and they have to do something else. I mean, it always happens rapidly. I mean, the heat were the thing and then they weren't. And then golden state was the thing and then they weren't. And then, so these things never last nearly as long as we think they're going to. And I don't see why the nets would be any different.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So on the topic of teams who are trying to retool and, and make new moves, let's talk a little bit about some of these draft trades that we've seen happen. Uh, Miami trades back and then trades forward again. So they go from three to 12, back to six. Um, San Francisco goes from 12 to 3, and then the Eagles go from 6 to 12. So we have a little shuffling on the draft there. Uh, what's your big takeaways from the movement that's going on there?
1: Uh, I'm real interested in what San Francisco is going to do. They're still talking that Jimmy G talk, but I don't, you don't make the move up to 3 in a draft where there's a lot of quarterbacks available if you're not going to get a quarterback, in my opinion. And so the first pick is Jags. We know that's Lawrence. The second is Jets. And if if I'm if I'm just reading tea leaves, Sala used to work for the Niners. If I'm correct, right? Correct. He probably talked to him. I'm probably sure him and Shanahan are still boys. I'm guessing he told them they're sticking with Sam Darnold. If I had to guess. So, that means Zach Wilson's available at three. And I watched the pro day and I was I'm even more sold on the guy like he had. I don't know if he is going to be that this good, but he has Patrick Mahomes written all over him. Like from arm talent to just being able to run around. You can make the faces you want. I just I'm just sold. And if you're going to give him a play caller, the type of Shanahan, who's going to get guys at times butt naked open. And that's a match made in heaven, especially if you're going to get away from Jimmy G, who isn't always available. I mean, we can still talk about, yeah, the one time he was there for basically most of the season, or I think all of the season, they went to Super Bowl, but since that, he just hasn't played enough games, and they're not good, and they need a quarterback to go with that team right now, because they are still very good on defense, but if Jimmy G's not going to be there half the time, you're going to have to go with Bethard and Mullins, that's just not going to cut it. So I'm guessing they know that the Jets aren't going with the quarterback at 2 and they can get Wilson and slot him right in with that team right away and try to get it going. So that's what I think, but we'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, so I think the Jets are still going to take Wilson at 2. I mean, who passes up on Mahomes, am I right? So yeah.
1: Well, I mean several teams did the first time, so I mean, it yeah. can
0: happen again. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Like I this is a sidetrack, but I, I love Zach Wilson, but I feel real. I feel like a hipster when it comes to Zach Wilson because I love Zach Wilson, but all the love he's getting right now kind of makes me want to come off of him a little bit. You know how hipsters like once once everybody once it's mainstream they don't like it no more. That's kind of how I feel about Zach Wilson right now. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to chill off Zach Wilson because some of the comparisons that I'm hearing, like for instance,
1: you just saying he's Mahomes, ish. Like, like diet Coke, like you know, Coke, Diet Coke, you know, it's
0: not Diet same, Coke but. outsells Coke, but oh, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's because people like to feel like they're doing something like <laughs> oh, it's diet though, but it's the same shit. Um, but anyway, like it's just, I think the Jets are still gonna pick Wilson back on, back on topic. I think they're still gonna pick Wilson. There's rumors that the Niners want Mac Jones which would be the most NFL thing of all time um, because for instance, I'm a Virginia Tech fan, right? So Justin Fuente is the coach there, and anytime you listen to him talk about quarterbacks, he always says predictable outcomes. That's his big thing. He wants to know what he's getting out of his quarterback. And while that pisses me off to hear because it's basically, it basically means you're going to be devoid of a playmaker, I don't think that that sentiment is something that's, unique. I think a lot of coaches want their quarterback to be reliable, to be consistent, and you know what you're going to get. And and when you really look at Mac Jones, like he's the picture of that, right? Like he's not necessarily going to be otherworldly with his arm talent and specifically with his athleticism because it's kind of a minus there. But you know what you're going to get with him and I can see an NFL team moving up to 3 to pick that predictable outcomes i disagree with it wholeheartedly but it wouldn't shock me so yeah go uh, ahead he doesn't seem
1: he just doesn't seem like shanahan type of player i mean i guess maybe my but matt ryan was more mobile than Matt. i mean but even at boston college like he wasn't running dude like lamar he wasn't running like lamar jackson but he was still you know athlete he was an athlete
0: you know, i mean so but you gotta think deep. about it Zach. i mean shanahan went and got garoppolo he's never been athletic like, who Shanahan had that's really, like, an athlete like that? I mean, Alex Smith is probably the biggest athlete he's had. Yeah. Because he was there in the Washington I days, get, right?
1: Just the, the plays he, t- he likes to run, I'm like, why don't you go get an athlete? You run plays for athletic dudes. Why won't you go get one?
0: So, for me, what I think makes the most sense in Jamal's brain, because they're stuck with Jimmy G for another year. Okay. Take the L for another year. Letting some a guy like Justin Fields marinate for a year, would makes a lot of sense. So if they go up and they take Fields, to me, that makes sense. Or if you're so inclined, you and I have talked about the fact that we don't like him. But Lance, again,
1: Probably Lance, yeah,
0: has that needs a year to marinate at least for Lance. You stuck with Jimmy G for a year because you're it's, it's, no one's trading for him. Like, nobody wants Jimmy G. So you're, you're going to have... Not price either. Yeah, I mean, hell, you can cut that price in half. I don't, still don't think anybody's paying it. But I that makes sense to me to get somebody that is going to have to sit a year. Maybe you can groom him. So a Fields or a Lance makes sense. Wilson makes sense if he's there because he's that good. I don't think you need to make him sit. I think he's ready to play now. I think he's going to plug and play. Mac Jones the way he is is probably another guy that is plug and play. He's not going to wow you, but I don't think he necessarily needs to sit and watch it like I think from a cerebral standpoint I think he gets it. His limitations are more athletic than it is in his, in his mind, but getting a guy who's got the talent but maybe he's not ready to go year 1. I that seems like what it should, like that's if I'm reading the tea leaves that's what I would see even though that's not kind of the rumors that are going around but my guess would be they go Justin Fields
1: for Miami. I, like I like that too. I like I like Fields. I just thought I, my whole mindset was thinking that the Jets aren't going quarterback, which they still could. But that's how my mind was thinking Wilson because I just yeah. thought them trading obviously meant that they knew something was up with the Jets.
0: Yeah, if the Jets don't go Wilson, then that makes this pick very easy for the 49ers. Because but if they that, if Fields
1: falls into your lap, you're not complaining. Let's be yeah.
0: Honest. Like at the end of the day. <laughs> Like, that seems like an like a win to me. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they go Mac Jones, because that's the way these drafts go. It, 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 there's always something that you're just like, really? Even though, to be fair, Mahomes was there really back then, and then they were definitely the smartest guy in the room that day. Um, so for the 49ers, obviously, it's got to be a quarterback. You don't make the move without picking a quarterback. Who that quarterback's going to be, I guess we'll have to stay tuned. But it's going to be a quarterback of some, some sort. For Miami, it makes a lot of sense because really, if they're trying to build around Tua, whatever they want to use to build around, whether it's a lineman or a receiver, which I think would be a more valuable receiver, you can get that at six.
1: Yeah. In fact, you're going to have your pick. You're going to be, you're still going to be a lot of people on the board at six. There's probably going to be maybe one gone by then, maybe. Like,
0: I don't think there will be a receiver gone you by then. You think six. you'll still be,
1: still be on the board at six?
0: Because, I mean, the top five picks, four of them are probably going to be
1: quarterbacks. I mean, if the Jets don't take a quarterback, it's got to be wide receiver, right? Like,
0: or I, I think the Jets are picking a quarterback. That's just my... you, okay. So we're okay. So you're just... so if I'm operating under that, then you probably have four quarterbacks. The Bengals at five probably either trade out for someone to get a quarterback, or they probably take a lineman to protect Burrow, and then you have whatever receiver you want. Like, so that makes a lot of sense to me for Miami. Miami they ended up pits. picking up more. See, uh, to me, it's Jamar Chase. Like I love Devonte Smith, but Jamar Chase, that dude's. I
1: like. I think. I think Tua needs a big target at this point of his career. Like I, I know Chase isn't small, but I think he needs a bigger range, honestly, to throw in right now. Like I know we uh, people like his arm talent, thinking t- throwing the tight windows, but I think he needs a big target at this point of his career, right?
0: now. I think he does. I think Pitts is a little overvalued for me. Um, I think the comp is probably Darren Waller. Um... But I just I'm not sure I'd pick him that high. I think he's easily a first round pick. But if I'm picking a tight end that high, I want him to be able to block too. And Pitts ain't doing that. I mean, there's obviously you get him in an NFL weight room, you put some weight on him, he can probably become a serviceable blocker. But he's not there I mean, right but now. He's
1: not gonna be blocked. He's gonna be Kelsey blocking pretty much, you know. But Kelsey can block though. That's the thing.
0: It's like Yeah. But yeah. He ain't kittle, but he can block. But and Waller, I mean He's a converted receiver, so it took him a while, but he's a decent blocker now. Pitts ain't blocking a damn body, at least not his rookie year. He can get a couple years in, he'd probably start doing it, but right off the jump, he's a wide receiver that's just as big as a tight end. But I I would pick Jamar Chase. I mean, obviously, kind of like you were talking about with Fields. I ain't mad if they take Pitts. There's nothing wrong with Pitts. But I would probably take Chase. And so you ended up getting probably who you wanted at three. You get him at six. You get some... You get some picks back for it. It's a win-win. For Philly, kind of the same thing. If I'm Philly, I probably want a receiver slash tight end. You can get that at 12 as well. Or you can go offensive tackle. You can probably still get that at 12. So it makes sense for them to stack some picks. So I think 49ers are the ones taking the biggest leap. And I also think they're the ones that are probably going to end up looking the worst when this is all said and done. Unless... Unless they take Fields and or Wilson. If they go any other route, I think it's going to be a bad look for them. But we'll Yeah, least... I
1: think they have to, honestly. They, if they do that, then I think all the trades work out for everybody, honestly. I think mm-hmm. if, they, if the 49ers can get the quarterback they wanted, which is one of those two, like you said, Miami train down, they're still going to be able to get whatever they want. Eagles train down, they're still going to be able to get whatever. Like the, for those teams, the stuff they need, there's a lot of it available in this draft. So them moving back did nothing for that. You know, Didn't hurt them at all.
0: Exactly. This is one of the few trades that it's possible that everybody wins. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't normally happen that way. Um, speaking of a scenario where not everybody wins, the NFL decided to go to 17-game schedule to try to ooze a little bit more money out of everybody involved without paying anybody else. is um, already on record saying that it was dumb. Eventually, the players are going to be like, you're playing one more game, and then I need more money. What's your thoughts about the NFL deciding to go with a 17-game schedule?
1: They've been talking about this for a while, and I think this is just inevitable. Well, I guess it was 17-18 games was the kind of talk, but more games were being added. We kind of all knew that. And this goes to show that the NFL's problem is they have so many guys on rosters that just are – the tiers of money are just separated so far that that extra paycheck for a lot of guys matters. So – for the most of your league that don't make top end money they're just basically making around the minimum a lot of the times that extra money count matters to them more than the guys at the top who are making, you know, 17 million a year, 15 million a year, whatever it may be. So, they're going to get voted against. Like those guys are going to vote for that extra paycheck. So, and the owners know that. The owners know that they have more guys that need that paycheck than guys who don't. So sneaking in that extra game and letting them know they're going to get paid a little bit more, and that salary caps will eventually go up because the TV money and everything's going up, the extra games and whatnot, I think it's it's easy for the owners to get that extra game. They know what they're up against. They know they're up against, they know the way the league breaks down, that they have guys, like I said, that need the money more than guys that don't.
0: So I got, I got two questions for you. So first, has it already been said that because they're playing an extra game, they're also going to pay them more like everybody's contracts getting adjusted i mean
1: i don't know more but you get it's one extra paycheck you know what i mean it's it's, right but
0: is that paycheck just taking if i make five million for this i mean
1: is it breaking it down
0: yeah are you just dividing it more my game check is just smaller and it ends up being the same number
1: i mean i guess that starts to kick in once the new salary cap goes up and i guess more or less for guys reworking new contracts over guys on old contracts You'll, I guess you'll figure that out here soon. I don't know yeah. when they're going to start. They're going to start move They're going to move to that and figure that
0: out. Yeah, because going forward, if I sign another contract, I'm like, hey, I'm playing yeah. out the game. I need this yeah, money. No, yeah, but yeah. if I'm already in the first year of my five-year deal and they switch to this, am I getting compensated for that or am I just shit out of luck? You
1: might have a lot of guys trying to rework their deals here soon.
0: Yeah, it might be a lot of restructuring going on. <laughs> so that's my first question. The second thing
1: is, is this something that we
0: wanted as fans? Like, Because I'm... Like, as much as I love football, like, generally speaking, week 17, half the teams aren't playing their guys anyway. No. It just means it's going to be two weeks of players who aren't really playing instead of one week of it. Like, the things are kind of locked up week 15, 16 anyway. It's going to be another watered-down game. Like, am I wrong in thinking that way?
1: Nah, it's all a cash grab. It's all it is. Nobody wanted an extra game. Fans, players, I mean, only owners are the only ones that wanted another game for extra money. Because as a fan, I don't need an extra game. I'm fine. I mean, shoot, y'all can cut it down. another. I mean, I guess you had a perfect number now of games that were preseason going down. But when preseason was ratcheted up to four games and then they had the regular season, it was already too many games as it was. So...
0: I feel like this extra game is like when you're eating dinner... And you're full, but you look down your plate, and there's not enough to save for tomorrow. So you just, so you just kind of like bear down, just dump it, it out. Yeah, you just like, I guess I'll just eat it. Like I don't really want it per se, but I'm just gonna eat it. Like that's kind of how I feel about this extra game. Is we'll we'll watch it because we're sports fans and it's on. But it's not something that I really needed or even really wanted. Because at that point, I'm kind of ready for the playoffs and to see teams try to go for the for the Lombardi more than I am seeing another regular season game so it like, you, like we said this is a cash grab and NFL is going to do NFL things so I don't know why anybody would be surprised by that never alright well that's all the time we have today I appreciate you joining us again for our MTO podcast thanks for listening to the media timeout podcast Mahomes well, looking to flip takes it in and a touchdown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at MTO Sports and visit our website, MediatimeoutSports.com, for more content.